Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. This is a transformative time for black America. Our income is at an all-time high, and the opportunity for economic empowerment is unprecedented. It's not just about dreaming anymore. It's about turning those dreams into reality by creating blueprints for generational wealth. Prudential has a remarkable history of supporting communities and institutions that have been overlooked for far too long. For instance, they've pledged a staggering $1 billion to programs, partners, and initiatives focused on historically excluded communities. Build your financial blueprint today at prudential.com slash blueprints. You're listening to Comedy Central. Rod, this sounds like some shit that'll happen to you. <laughs> now hiring. A comedian has been fired by Carnival Cruise Lines after video emerged of him being accused by audience members of using the N-word a couple times. This is a white comedian. Oh. Oh. On a boat? After that video surfaced, he was escorted off that goddamn ship. (laughs) And they said, get your ass the fuck up out of here. (laughs) Now, according to this comedian, um, it wasn't the fact that he said the N-word once and the joke was race-related, not racist. Uh, per his quote to TMZ. Um, but the fact that an audience member or two made a stink about him saying the N-word. He basically said nobody was mad that I said the N-word. People was mad that they, they heard it. Like, like yeah, that's, the, that's the same thing. This is the thing that's wild, though. If they like if you're in between ports on a cruise mm-hmm. ship as a comedian, and you get fired, they send a helicopter for your ass. What? Carnival is cold-blooded. Yo, these cruise ship companies, you don't get an extra day. Motherfucker, you're fired. Go get your shit and go stand by the helipad. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds sounds pretty cool to me. That's all the more reason to get kicked off the damn cruise ship. I drop in bombs left and right. Yeah, that's a golden. That's a golden parachute. That's like right. It's like oh shit, you kick me off the ship. I get to take a helicopter back to the country. Like yeah, oh I'm oh this is awful. Here's what would have made this shit perfect. Is if he got fired for saying the n word and then he got on that helicopter and as the helicopter was taking off, he looked down at the boat and was like. I'll let you niggas. My name is Roy. <laughs> This is my job fair. The same tone and everything. Yes. He sounded like we do his, his Tron impression. He sounded like Tron. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> now I know when you was looking at the podcast, you know, I don't know how y'all do the job fair shit when you download it every week third. But um, you look at the length of the episode and you'd be like, why the fuck is this episode so long? Well, <laughs> is that what they say? We're giving you a little extra dope this week. We we normally don't break an hour other than Jesus week and the freaky deaky week when we was yeah. talking to all the people, the only fans and the pastors back to back. Not women? Well, that was a month, though. That was a dedication. That was OK. Different. Yeah, that, that don't count. You know, we normally don't have two guests for worse and first, but I think it's important to lead off with this person before we get into the whole rap and politics thing this week. JG, who do we have on the line? It's Thomas Lennon. He is an actor, author producer and screenwriter and he's best known for his role as the ridiculous lieutenant jim dangle on you know 911 thomas is also an accomplished screenwriter and a script doctor he's written a number of successful films with his writing partner robert ben garnet including right. the night at the museum franchise taxi and Baywatch. The pair yes. also serve as co-creators of Reno 911. Today, Thomas will be talking to you, Roy, about his impressive career in show business. Hello, Thomas. Hi. It's so nice to be here. And the funny thing is, I thought I had a bad job. And then when you said that I was a screenwriter, I was like, oh, shit. That's the worst job I've ever had. <laughs> I had to I totally had to, because I thought I was going to come on and talk about something totally different. And then I remembered what it was like to be a screenwriter. Mm. And I was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> Sorry, Roy, I cut you off. Yo. You were saying hello. No, it's all good. The film <laughs> premiering on Comedy Central December 3rd oh. and streaming on the Paramount Plus app after that, if you're hearing this later. Yep. It's called It's a Wonderful Heist, yep. a Reno 911 movie. Brilliant. Brilliant. Brother Lennon, we don't have a lot of time, but I do have one Reno 911 question. Do members of the law enforcement community view your program as a friend or foe to the oh. perceptions mm. of law enforcement? I'm not. Oh, let let me just start yeah. right now. This ain't no deep ass question. I'm not trying to get you to talk about the police reform oh, or some shit. Please. Just in the sense of when you walking down the street and a cop recognize you, is it a scowl or a smile? Mm. This is interesting, and it has definitely changed over time. Hmm. So I think when the show first came out, uh, when Reno 911 first came out, the actual Reno Police Department got a lot of angry calls and letters that their that their officers were behaving so horribly uh, (laughs) on camera. Now, of course, we're the Reno Sheriff's Department, which doesn't exist. It's fake. And Correct. so there was a weird vibe at the beginning. <laughs> There's a weird vibe at the beginning for sure. And I will say now that we're 125 episodes in and three movies, it's just, it's just different. It's hard to get a ticket with the Lieutenant Dangle mustache. It's pretty hard to get a ticket. Really? No. <laughs> I was going to ask, is it the ticket or the shorts? <laughs> okay, I'm going to say something that's kind of weird about myself. I have in the car, in case I need to give it to somebody, I have like a, a Reno 911 badge <laughs> with like a patch and then like a card from the California Highway Patrol. And my wife asked me the other day, she's like, how are you different from Herschel Walker? Fuck. <laughs> 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 Jesus, Lord. Driving around the car <laughs> with a badge. And I'm like, Thomas. well, I don't take it out. <laughs> don't take it out. So it's a wonderful heist. Talk to us a little bit about how you all were able to mix Christmas time with police work. Because those two on paper, you don't necessarily think about. But 
also talk to us a little bit about just the improv elements and how you all work through a scene because the show feels more like jello than concrete mm-hmm. in terms of the Very script so. the improvisational nature of the show is also the answer to everything else about the show which is it is the only reason it has survived mm-hmm. and people have tried to copy it uh you know in shows but you have to have Nisi and you have to have Cedric and you have to have Carrie. And you got to have like all those elements. By the way, Nisi was going back and forth between doing the Jeff Dahmer show and our dumb Christmas movie. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And she would she would do double duty like she would just come like she would one day be doing like the scariest scenes in the world. And then she'd come in and play T.T. Where she's running around in a bounty house. T.T. is the shit. Dock strap. <laughs> so she has the best like work schedule in the world where she can come run around with me in a jock strap and then the next day has to, like sob has to sob with Jeffrey like Jomber is eating people next oh, door in the hall. Yeah. Somebody somebody yeah, was great. joking on Twitter about Nisi Nash that she left Reno nine one one to work for the feds because now she's on ABC. Right. That's just hilarious, man. <laughs> She got she got her shit together. She got <laughs> called up to the show. Y'all y'all have ruined oh, her for me. For the record, <laughs> it is so hard for me to watch her as a cop and being serious on feds. When for years I've watched her just rolling around in Reno nine one one. It's it's a hell of a transition. I know it's amazing. We're we're very lucky that she still comes and, and oh, I like <laughs> even her. after all the Emmy nominations and everything that she still comes and visits us. Mm-hmm. The only reason the show has kept going mm-hmm. in a big way is because of the unscripted nature and because what we're all saying to each other, one, we're all really good friends. Uh, And now we've known each other, you know, we shot the pilot in the year 2000. So like we've seen everything come and go. And in those morning briefing scenes on the show, you can always tell like, no one's approved what we're saying to each other. (laughs) It's like, what? It's like, what? what The dumbest people. Yeah. Yeah. Like no one's like no one's vetted all this dumb shit that we talk about. So I I think that's why it it feels like honest conversations between people. And I I think that that feels rare because, you know, a lot of times you see shows where things are carefully scripted and we obviously don't do that, you know. And then the other thing is, you know, a lot of people were like, yeah, in a world where cops are so glorified. And I'm like, if you think cops have been glorified on Reno 911, you have never seen the show. Because <laughs> we're like Beautiful. doing whippets in the car. Yeah. And people are fucking your bicycle. Where people got fucking what is bicycle. going on on this show? <laughs> that made the trailer of the movie. So, Thomas Lennon, you have starred in innumerable television shows and movies, and your writing career has been illustrious and Stand-up comedy followed after years of toiling in the improv scene and perfecting Mm. that skill set. And uh, Mm. researcher Hayat did some digging. Mm. Uh Uh-oh. New York Times best-selling author as well, Jacqueline. This brother's written three young adult novels. um, All about the character Ronan Boyle. Ronan Boyle in The Bridge of Riddles and The Swamp of Mm -hmm. Certain Death and Ronan Boyle into The Strange Place. Ronald mm-hmm. Boyle in the Bridge of Riddles. Mm. But before all of that, you was a broke motherfucker. And I want to know about it. And I want to know about that time in your life. Tell us about that job, Thomas Lennon, when that struggle, when your ribs was touching, when you and your roommate had to split a fucking McRib over oh. the course of two days. Don't eat that. Tell us about a worst to first job. I'm sorry for raising my voice respectfully. One of the most interesting jobs I ever had, and I think it was very good practice 
for being an actor and also mm-hmm. screenwriting. I did telemarketing and I was down at a, on a bank of phones. There was about eight or 12 of us in a basement and we had like regular telephones like we used to have, you know, like a telephone that was connected to the, to the wall on a cord. Landline joints. Landline. You remember your script? It was incredible. They brought me in and they're like, well, you're new. So we're going to give you the worst one that exists. <laughs> and I, I was like, what am I doing? And they're like, here is a stack of computer paper with like 2000 phone numbers. numbers on it and names. Just numbers. Mm-hmm. And you've got to Earth call them. List. And these were all people that had made a telephone call on an airplane air phone. Uh-huh. Remember when the airplanes, I don't know if you guys remember, the middle oh, yeah, seat have a phone. Uh-huh. And you could swipe your credit rest. card and it would pretend yep. to call somebody and you would scream <laughs> that you you from an airplane. I just spent $40 to call you from an airplane and you would scream it. Yeah. And the thing about the air phone and it was was, weirdly, it was in the middle seat of the three seats as if you were just casually talking to people and the other people were giving shit. (laughs) Just reaching over people. Excuse me. Excuse me. Can I use that middle phone seat? Right. So everybody fucking hated the air phone. It was the worst idea in the history of the world. And it also apparently didn't work. Oh, I had to call all yeah. these, every single person on my list had a complaint about the telephone call that they had made from an airplane. The people that, obviously the people that are going to already complain about they didn't like the phone service on the airplane. They're not going to be nice when you call them at dinner time. <laughs> so I said, hi, this is Thomas. I'm calling from, you know, such and such industries. And, you know, we know you had a problem with the airphone call and it didn't work out. And we just wanted to follow up with a couple of questions. And generally the response would be Thomas. I hope one day you have a family so that I can, <laughs> I will call you during dinner and I will ruin your evening. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that was the one that stuck with me forever. Come on. I was like, wow, people, people can be really, really mean. Yeah. All the things you've learned so far and all the things you've done so far, what has been some of the best advice or anything that you've learned? Because me personally, when people stop listening, I stop talking. So that actually saves me time and energy. So any good advice? If you can be nice when you get fired from something, that's basically the best thing you can do in the entire world. Mm-hmm. Like be the person that they want to hire again when yes. somebody else messes up. Because like it's going to come up all the time. There's only so many people out there and there's only so many people that do what you do. And some people will be lovely and a lot of fun and great to work with. And some people will be enormous pains in the ass. Be the great ex that they dream mm-hmm. about, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I like where you're going, though, Tom. Yeah, when somebody else gets the job, be, have, make them wish it was still you, you know, from how nice you were when you got fired. Just want to ask you, Thomas, very quickly, please tell me what it was like to work with Weird Al Yankovic on Weird. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan, and I watched that one with my kids, bro. I can't even lie. Like, it was it was an amazingly <laughs> funny it's fucking It's one of the movie, greatest bro. movies ever. I'm so proud of that. Ever. Al's been, like, my best friend for about 16, 17 years. Wow, really? And I met him one day. I walked up to him at the, at the office, the Staples Office Supplies. And I said, hey, you're Weird Al. He's like, you're Lieutenant Dango. I'm like, let's be friends. We've been friends for seven years. That's awesome. We look forward to this film. It's a wonderful heist. December 3rd on Comedy Central. The Reno 911 gang rides again. 
And uh, after December 3rd, it's on the Paramount Plus app. Get that wherever you stream media legally. <laughs> Thomas Lennon. Thanks for representing our parent company, Viacom, by saying stream legally. South Park and Prince Production, Paramount Plus, and please get the subscription and get the fucking one that don't pay for ads. Pay the good money. Get the good um, one. And also, Roy, one time we audited Viacom to see how much money they owed us, and it turned out we owed them $30,000 for all the <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> all That's free. what you get for Ooh. digging for the truth. Don't dig for the Ooh. truth. <laughs> That's what you get. Good advice. Excellent advice. Thomas Lennon, thank you so much for coming on the job fair, brother. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Big fan. Third, I'd like to pose a question to you before we bring this guest on. Okay. Which industry do you think is shadier? Oh, that's easy. The music industry Record industry or politics? Ooh. Ooh, wait a minute. Oh, you threw a caveat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Record industry or politics? Which one is shadier? As a native Washingtonian, uh, yeah, bro, you already know I'm going politics. Ain't nothing shadier than politics, bro. I, I ain't going front. On the big stage, whew. I don't know, though. I don't know. I, to me, the difference between the two is that in politics, you know it's shady from the jump and you figure out how to navigate the Facts. shadiness. The music industry is built on lies that you do not oh. discover are lies oh, until no. five to ten years into the game and it's too late oh. because I got you signed to everything and the next thing you know, a motherfucker is hanging outside of a window of a hotel window balcony <laughs> demanding that you sign over your goddamn mask. And also knowing oh. that, you know, his office hours, which are from nine to five. I understand what you're saying, brother. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Oh, you're talking about five heartbeats. I was talking about shit. That's a much safer comparison. I respect that. You just saved my ass. That's right. I was talking about Big Red. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about, you know, hip hop and rap, it's one of those interesting occupations that they don't talk much about the second act. They don't talk much about quote unquote retirement or what you're going to pivot into because you know the record industry is always chasing people that are young new and the latest shiny thing so it's always dope to have brothers that have figured out what they're going to do Hmm. and elevate what they have been doing and we have exactly that type of person on the line JG who we got we welcome the honorable Dupree Kelly Counselor Kelly joins us from Newark New Jersey He's an HBCU graduate and a member of Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. He spent years in the music industry as a member of the hip hop group Lords of the Underground. In June of this year, he became the first platinum selling rapper in the U.S. to win elected office prior to joining... Prior to joining politics, he played an active role in his hometown of Newark through his nonprofit 211 Community Impact. So we welcome the Honorable Dupree Kelly. Hello. Now, Lords of the Underground, this wonderful group that you were a part of, you all came around at a time, and I'm from the South. I'm from Alabama. Uh, my family from out there, man. Shout out to everybody in the ham. Then you know what the music vibes were down there. It was more West Coast, and the South was very much us and I stuff, and Texas. It was t- Texas and California tracks. So what you all were doing was innovative because it felt East Coast. It, we knew it was East Coast-ish, 
but it didn't it somehow fit into what the Southern ideology was because you all weren't necessarily trying to fit in with everything else that everybody was doing. Walk us through, because whatever you are now, that shit was in you way back. Here come the Lord. Here come the Lord. You was probably thinking of, you was probably thinking of ways to stop (laughs) hunger while opening up for Buster Right, right, right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... Walk us through what you were feeling at the time in the music industry and how that led to you starting to run for public office. And if I'm not mistaken, I'll check Booker Hayat's data here in a second. But you lost the first time That's you ran right. for we, some We shit. took a learn. We took a L. We took a learn. We don't call it a loss. We took Nice. A yeah. Okay. I like okay. that. Okay. I mean, man, um, just just to, just to uh, interject on what y'all was talking about of how laws of the underground didn't, you know, we felt East, East Coast-ish, but, you know, it tied into so many other people. I think that's because we were in college. You know, we were at an HBCU, Shaw University. University in Raleigh, North Carolina. Shout out. Yeah. Shout out. We had out. people from Chicago. We had people from California. We had our DJs from Cleveland, Ohio. He's from the OH10. You know, he's from the Heights mm. in Cleveland, you know. So we had so many different yeah. sounds uh, that, you know, hip hop, you make hip hop, you know, from your your uh, environment, from your surroundings. That's the way I was taught the hip hop, whether you was on the East Coast or West Coast, you know. So we had so many different things that were in our circumference, in our surroundings back then that made up the sound. And then the East Coast part is we had Marley Mall, who was like Russell Simmons back then. Right. And a dude from New Jersey who kept it Jersey by the name of uh, DJ K Def. So that rounded out and made up what the sound of Lords of the Underground is. A L.A. manager, a Newark manager, a Cleveland DJ, two rappers (laughs) from Newark, New Jersey, from two different sides, you know, and then you had a. You know, uh, a manager who was Muslim, a manager who was straight out of college, who was a blood, you mm. know. Um, and all making music in the city with a waffle right. house. <laughs> you know, great demographics. With great great house, demographics. Right? You know what I mean? So it, it really it really compiled, uh, compiled all of a, all of that energy to, in one one it. studio. And and that's what you got, man. You you got a, a jumbo of of college kids who was excited to be capturing their dreams and to tie it all in. So you saying, what was I doing then? And was I on the same thing? I was, man. And that is, you know, a testament to my my manager, one of our managers. We had two managers back then, by the a brother by the name of Hafiz Fareed, who was a Muslim brother. So, you know, mm-hmm. you got Muslim brothers from just think of my man from uh, Minister Society with the bald head. And he was like, you should be playing that <laughs> yeah, anyway, brother. Yes. You know, that was yeah. our manager. Just think of a, a grown mm-hmm. version of him. You know, when we 19, he 30. <laughs> so just think of a grown version of that guy with these young men that come from a wild place like Newark, New Jersey, a wild place like Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we started out with with the B words and the F bombs and the, the, you know, nigga, 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 you know, all of that type of stuff. But we had a manager who never really told us what to do, but he did question what we did, you know, and he would say, uh, you know, so if we dropped the B word in our rhyme. He would say, Oh, that, that, that sound cool. He's like, who are you talking about? Your mother. And we'd be like, what? 
Better change it quick. <laughs> what you talking about? You trying to t- oh. like no, nah, no? Nah, you said that that you was with this B over here and over there. Who you talking about? Your mother, your sister, your grandmother? We like yo. You trying to be funny? He's like no. Nah, I'm just I'm just asking you because that's what some women are gonna think. Mm-hmm. So so what are you? What point are you trying to get across? He was elevating. Yeah, he wasn't telling us to take it out though. But by the time he came mm-hmm. back to the studio, it was gone because he was challenging us mm-hmm. in that type of way. Positive energy activates constant elevation. Right. And if we had a bunch of N-words in the music, he would say, you know, uh, well, where's the rap part? Mm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Maybe too conscious. Get our mind tricks. Y'all were young guys. Mm-hmm. And if I'm being really honest, Lawyers of the Underground came out right around the same time as Red Man, right around the same time before Dos Effects. The stuff that y'all did on that first album, I felt as if a lot of people just kind of emulated what you guys kind of started. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Because like, right. y'all were young kids. Y'all were super young kids when y'all did that. And I personally feel like y'all led a certain wave of that 90s era hip hop. Yo, Third, I got to salute you, bro, because you you got to be a hip hop head to really understand that. And and let me tell you why why I'm saluting you, because I know you understand it, because you if you if you're only going to understand it if you paid attention, right? And what I mean by that is, I introduced Red Man to EPMD. I introduced Red Man to Eric Sermon. Holy shit. Eric Sermon was coming to Newark, New Jersey to sign Dupre Kelly, Do It All, not Red Man. Red mm. Man was my DJ. I've heard that story. I never knew that was you. That He came to sign that's you. That's crazy. He was coming to sign me. And I got sick and I told my boy, so Eric was coming to see me. So what happened was myself, Jam, a brother by the name of Jam C, who runs a dope podcast now. Another brother by the name of Brita Bega, who introduced us to Bismarck and all the graffiti cats like K Slay and all of them back in the day. They used to always go to New York and they were real tight on the hip hop scene. So I started to get my name up freestyling at the clubs and winning all of the talent shows. That's when the communities had talent shows. And Red Man was my DJ. And uh, Jam C said, yo, I got this brother by the name of Sport D, who we call Diesel Don. He got a bunch of compu- uh, studio stuff in his living room. He's a chef, but but he's a dope <laughs> producer. So we went over to his house, you know, got got real cool with him. And um, long story short, we used to look on the back of the cassettes and the albums and look at the managements and the record labels, and we used to go visit them. So we started to go oh. visit um, Rush Management, which was downtown at this time, you know. Um, and when we went in there, you know, it's a small office building, and everybody who you loved in the hip hop in the hip hop world come through there, came through there from Houdini, and they was the stars back then. Like when they walked in the building, mm-hmm. my God. And LL Cool J and and Run DMC, they was managed, but they wasn't they weren't on the label. And uh, Flavor Flav, and I'll shout out to Flavor Flav because every time he saw us in the in that hallway, he would make sure he would take us to the corner store and get chips and juice. You know, and uh, PE. And those little moments are so important. But they used to always make us wait. Yeah, wait here in the lobby. Of course, we waited four hours, five hours, six hours. However long it took, yeah. Yeah, because that was the, that was the thing. Like, we're going to yeah. make you wait and until you leave or you don't leave. And um, mm. we one night, just to fast forward, one night we waited so long that we heard, we used to hear all, you know, people start, they, they 
chit chatting all through the office. So we heard everything that was going on. And um, we heard that um, uh, it was EPMD having a gold party that was coming up. So I went home, we went home and I called WBLS and just happened to win tickets. So I won two tickets. <laughs> that's real. That's it. But I it was four it. of us. Good God. Mm. So I came back the next day. We waited again. And I said, don't you have a, a gold party coming up for EPMD? Can we go? And Faith, who turned into an executive, she was just working in the lobby. She said, I, I'll give you two passes. I'll put your name on the, on for two. So I was like, bet. Wow. I already got two tickets from winning. So I got my whole. There win. you go. And that was me, Breeder Baker, Jam C, and Red Man, who was just Reggie Noble at the time. And uh, yeah. we went in there. Government name. And, um, and Jam C, and every, I was the rapper. So everybody, you know, I was like next up. Jam C and Bree rap too, but I was like that dude at the time. So mm. everybody was telling Eric, yo, he's that guy. Come, come rock with him. And, uh, he said, yo, I, I'm going to be down Sensations. I'm going to be down the... There's a club called Sensations in Newark. You know how to talk. I'm going to be down the Sensations. You know, make sure you come down. I'm going to have P down. You know, come down. We're going to check you out. That's how For some reason, you know, I'm 17 years old at this time. For So for some reason, I don't know if I got sick or something happened where I couldn't go. So I called... I called Red and I said, yo, you got to go. You got to go down there. Oh, that's okay. good. Represent for the crew. Now, Red was an incredible freestyling dude. He used to DJ and grab the mic and freestyle while he was DJing, which made the set dope. So long story short, man, he went down there. And my guy, Brita Beggar, who rapped too. Brita Beggar, if you listen to Lords of the Underground, um, he's the one saying, never faded on a record called Never Faded. He's the one yep, singing yep, the hook. Yep. And um, and he told him, he said, yo, where's the rapper? And he's like, oh, he's not here. And he said, well, well, Red, well, Red Rom too. And Red had just wrote a rhyme that week, weekend. And that was a uh, Red Man Ready to Rock, Damn. Rough Rhymes, the Renegade Rapper, Rip When It's Rhyme Time, Pump, Push a Pen and Pencil When I'm Pissed, Pack Pistol Posse, Flow Some Old Pro That was the rap that he said he had just oh. wrote it. And they went crazy. And Doc called and me. He called me, the, he called me that night like, like, yo, I rap for them. They went crazy. They said they want us to come oh. to the house. Now we thinking we yeah. EPMD, so we went we went downtown north to uh, Dr. J's and bought the same sneakers, same jacket, same, just like <laughs> <laughs> we caught the train to Long Island, you know, Central Islip and went to Eric's house. Oh. You know, Eric in the mm -hmm. kitchen making a hamburger with an egg on it. <laughs> you know, and um, ahead of the curve. If he was doing that, yeah. yeah. And then that's how that's how they got down with with uh, EPMD. And and then so now you down with EPMD. So I can't front on Red. He bought me in, but you know I'm the type of dude. I'm not gonna knock your opportunity because if it's my man, I feel like it's all of us. You know, mm -hmm. even though they was coming to get me first, I felt like if I'm with Red now, you got both of us now. And uh, they had these mm -hmm. two other guys that were from college that went to Virginia Union, I, I believe it was, another HBCU. But that was P's group. And they were called... That's effects. One of them from Jersey. Yep. And P kept saying, do it all. You I don't know who P is. You got to help me. Parrish Smith from okay. PMD. Okay. 
and Paris would tell me, yo, yo, dude, you sound, you remind me of my my dude I got from college. He was mm-hmm. talking about Dre's. You know, Dre's was from Jersey. So Dre's was that that Jersey sound. So when you hear Dos Effects, right, when you hear um, Red wow. Man, that is really my influence initially in the Jersey sound. And that's why when Dos Effects came out before us and Red Man came out before Lords and then we came out, everybody was saying, man, it's something about the energy. Y'all sound like Dos. I was like, how mm-hmm. do we sound like Dos? And we don't do any diggity diggity nothing. None of that. Rap. But it was the energy. Here come the Lords. Like the, the horns, the voice, even the way that the, 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 the lyrics are delivered. It's just a fire energy to it. You know why Here Come the Lords had that energy? Because mm-hmm. we were upset. We felt like all of the energy that we did inside of Eric's house, in front of Parrish and everybody, we felt like that it was taken from us and mm. given to us the year to of effects. So now when you mm. hear even us doing this in the video, all of that was was towards Das at the time when um, hey Funky, wake up. Uh, it's wake up. Turn on the radio. It's us. It's us. Yeah, listen to the cut. It's our style. Our style, your style. No, your style. We saying that our style is on the radio before we're on the radio. Damn. That's what we was talking about. You know? So, you know, all of that that you felt and helped, that's that's where that's where, you know, it came from, man. I officially but, have uh, no more questions, Roy. Job fair. We'll be right back. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Job fair. The Honorable Dupree Kelly standing by for scam, scam of the Week. We're going to talk a little bit more about that world of rap music and what it was like coming up with Lords of the Underground and that entire hip-hop scene. And um, the fact that he was kicking it with EPMD and Red Man third back when he was just Reggie Noble. Right. The fact you that know, Red Man was his DJ. Red Man was his like, DJ. Like, that's just nuts to me. Uh, Rod... We turn it over to you. This is the part of the show, if you're new to the job fair, where we uh, 
talk about topics that you can bring up with coworkers you can't stand. We call this segment Breaking the Ice to help us do that. It's our resident white people, black peopleologist. His mama named him Murado. We call him Rod for short. Uh, Rod, before we get to the shit with you, mm-hmm. um, you needed you. <laughs> had a little snafu last week, apparently. Is it a snafu? Yeah, um, uh, I didn't see it as a snafu. Oh, okay. But, um, we gonna we gonna unpack this shit real quick. Please we turn it over to Rod now. And I waited specifically for Rod's segment because I wanted to get his opinion as well as a comedian and fellow ventriloquist. I'm I'm being told. I did not know you did ventriloquism, Rod. Yeah. You can throw your voice. Yeah. I don't believe that. <laughs> The truth don't care whether you believe it or not. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Do it. Throw your voice. I don't believe you. Not for free. Oh, I respect that. I respect that. So we had Jeff Dunham on the program, and Jeff Dunham is, you know, over the course of 30, 40 years of being a ventriloquist, made a lot of different dummies that Starting a lot of stereotypical places with some of the jokes and, you know, people have called him racist. Um, had him on the program last week. I understand we called an email. I know normally you don't want to acknowledge someone who don't like you, but I respect the job fair community <laughs> and the people who care enough to type a fucking message. Then I'll give you the dignity of a response. JG, who's talking shit in the email? It's Mike, and the email says, Hey all, I am disappointed to see you bringing on a guest that has repeatedly committed some of the most offensive racist portrayals on stage. I thought you were better than this. (laughs) And you know why? You know why you're bringing this up? First off, Mike, thank you for the email. RoyceJobFair yes, at gmail.com if you want to email us and tell us when you shit. No. But that last sentence, that's what hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were, like when your, you parents, when your parents, when your daddy goes, I'm disappointed. <laughs> you were, uh, disappointed. I'm like, I'm disappointed in you. I'm like, I'm not even mad. We don't need to reply to that. It's fine. That's his opinion. But then he said that, I was like, Ah, shit, we got to talk to Rod about this shit. I don't want the fuck the ins and outs of it is. Because my thing is this. I understand the accusations that have been put at Jeff Dunham by a lot of different groups over the course of his career. But if you go back and listen to the tapes from last week, I asked him specifically about Sweet Daddy D, the the, the black pimp. Because I feel like as a black person, that's the only thing I can ask him about. I can't bring Jeff Dunham on this show and go, motherfucker, what'd you say about all this shit? Which he kind of already said when he was talking about the cancel culture shit part yeah. of the interview. So yeah. I can ask him about the black dummy, which he he copped to, said shouldn't have done it, couldn't do it. What I discovered is that I can't think black, so I stopped doing Sweet Daddy D. For me, fuck it, that's enough. Let's that keep talking about enough. comedy. For me. But I understand I understand your issues, Mike. You know, we try to do as best we can on this acoustical radio presentation to bring on interesting people. And, you know, when else are you going to talk to a motherfucker that been talking to dolls since the fourth grade? (laughs) So we try to find interesting and I'm I'm being serious right now. Like that was... (laughs) I'm glad you came and backed that up. Like, no way. Y'all are laughing and you're fucking up me trying to explain myself to Mike. 
He made it sound like that nigga was in the tenth grade, friendless, having tea parties with his imaginary friends. <laughs> he been talking to dolls since the fourth like grade. <laughs> Do they like you? <laughs> It'll be one thing, and two rides credit. I feel like that must be said. Two rides credit. Before we had Jeff Denham on, he was the one that was like, are we sure we want to do this? Da, 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 da. And, and we were like, yeah, it should be fine. And then to your credit as an interviewer, Roy, you didn't bring it up. He jumped the shark. Yeah, and then the whole Chris Tucker story and all of that. It, my thing is this, is that where the black dummy is concerned, Jeff Dunham admitted that he didn't know what the fuck he was doing. He tried to do it. He said he didn't know what the fuck he was doing. He stopped doing it. And then he said what he said about black women, uh, women dummies mm-hmm. in general. So in terms of trying to hold his feet to the fire to make him account for all the racial sins of every single dummy that's pissed off every other group, I didn't feel like that was my agency. So mm-hmm. I didn't bring it up. Right. Can you be racist as a ventriloquist if you are then disappearing into the persona of another thing? I have to say, yes, uh, absolutely you can. But if you're just doing, if Jeff Dunham just did a black voice and didn't have a dummy on stage, like, yo, I'm a black pimp, I be smacking bitches, then I would be like, yo, man, this motherfucker can't come on my show. Uh But then... Like I guess what I'm saying is if you craft racism in a garage, does that make it not racist? <laughs> Go. No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Like I mean, I I just because it's a joke, that doesn't make it okay. And so just because his characters are supposedly the ones that are offensive, I mean, it's still him. I I, I look at it like this. If his explanation is he won't do the black man dummy anymore because he doesn't he can't think like a black person and things of that nature then why does he do any of the other puppets that aren't just white men his own age can he think like a dead terrorist a a middle easterner a Muslim, an old man, a kid, a woman, all of this, a a, a Hispanic, jalapeno and all that shit. I think the only reason he doesn't do the black puppet is because he's white and that's pretty much the most blatant form of racism in America is to be racist towards black people and black people would beat the shit out of you too. And to back your point, right? Black women would beat your ass too. Like, don't think that you can go out there and make fun of sisters and then just be walking the street and that some sister ain't gonna confront you. That would have been suicide. Yeah. I don't think, has there been any in the history of ventriloquism, has there been a black woman dummy? Operated by a man? Not that I can think of. Um, I actually like pushing the envelope from a comedic standpoint. But where I draw the line is, what do you mean how a black person or a black man or a black woman thinks? That's where I take issue because that's when it gets stereotypical. That's when it gets into the shucking and jiving. I always want him or anyone to push the envelope. What was what I took it as during the conversation, because he talked about a redneck. He could know what the general want was of that person. He knows that a terrorist is angry. So every response should start with anger as the driving emotion to write the dialogue for whatever that joke is. For a black person, black people are not a monolith. The niggas is different all over. Mm -hmm. He recognized it because what he didn't want to fall into is just a simple 
basic style of black type of character. Mm -hmm. If you look at who he's entertaining, which is middle America, Mm -hmm. then most middle Americans view terrorists or view from a stereotypical sense from when he started. Remember, Jeff Dunham popped two years, two, three years after 9-11. So we wasn't sparsing Muslims into all these different buckets that we do now. We weren't sparsing the Middle Easterners into the, like, we weren't doing that. So he could operate from one single North Star behavioral truth to create that dummy. Then with the hillbilly, everybody do the same fucking accent with a hillbilly. You think you're not sparsing hillbillies the way you do black people from intellectuals to hood motherfuckers to dreadlocks to people with fucking degrees to people down in the Caribbean with, you know, Caribbean accents or the black Brits. Like, it's too many different black people that they're going to be like, hey, man, why you only think niggas talk like that? I got to fight you. Yeah. Okay, so Rod, so what you're saying is that no matter the only doll that someone can portray is themselves and it not have the risk of offending someone. Yeah, but just because you offend somebody doesn't mean you've done anything wrong, but yeah, like there's only like so far you can take a character, there's a difference between a character and a person. Mm. And it's like, you can be Jeff Dunham, a white dude, and do just some black cartoon character or some shit, or like like his black puppet. If it wasn't so stereotypical, if it was just an old black man, and the only voice he was doing was just an older black man talking like older black men do, it wouldn't be no problem. Yes, it would. But because it was a pimp. That's, but because it was a pimp named Sweet Daddy yeah. D. Mm, like that yeah, part. like that's just a person. Just an old person is just a person. But this puppet he does is a specific black pimp old stereotype, and that's where you get into trouble, man. It, but he stopped doing it. That was my whole point. Anyway, thank you for the email, Mike. We appreciate you for if you're still listening. We appreciate you <laughs> for giving us another chance. Fucking this week. Thank you, Down South Georgia girl. Uh, search for black woman ventriloquist yields oh. one motherfucker. Really? Wow. <laughs> Who is it? Willie Tyler and Les Stina? That's <laughs> 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 so wrong. You're wrong for that. I, I should say motherfucker because this is actually a wonderful young woman. Uh, Megan Pyphus, uh, really? graduate of Vanderbilt. And she is now a puppeteer at Sesame Street. So she didn't even do comedy. They was like, yo, you got to come teach kids. Well, Sesame Street started out for inner city kids and their issues. So, yeah. yeah. Megan started puppetry and ventriloquism at the age of 10 years old and taught herself puppetry by watching VHS tapes. I bet you she watched Jeff Dunham. Mm. Bet you she fucking came up on it. Uh, Damn, she was on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. When she was in college. Okay, so this girl did the damn thing. Absolutely. Now she on Sesame level, Street. She's the first black yeah. woman in history to be a puppeteer on Sesame Street. <laughs> you know what, fuck it, let's call it. We didn't have a CMO earlier because we talked to Thomas Lennon. Megan Pyphus. <gasps> yes. yes. Operating the goddamn ventriloquism dolls. You are Cody's most yes. outstanding employee yes. of the week. Right. Now, oh, can we Rod, invite her her to our Christmas party? And when she comes, I'm gonna do my Elmo impersonation. There isn't gonna be a, oh, a Christmas be party. A Christmas party. Oh. motherfuckers are getting an Amazon gift card via email. Check your spam. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. That's what it's going to be. <laughs> Check the spider. <laughs> right. Oh, real quick, Rob, before we get into any of these breaking the ice, what is your doll? Since the rules of ventriloquism yeah. are Bring them up. that you must have a doll that is in alignment with whatever the fuck you fucking do. Bring them up, right? Uh-uh. Yes, sir. Hey, guy, what's your name? This is the Wiz. Okay. He is a KKK Grand Wizard puppet. <laughs> the Ku Klux Klan Grand Wizard puppet. Hang on. Hang on. Yeah, I'm talking bad. No. One time for no. Albert Pike, no. baby. I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. For the people, for the people listening, <laughs> I have to paint the picture. Please give me a second. Get him, Picasso. On Rod's right hand is a hooded figure wearing a red hood with the red clan robe and but he has the googly eyes like those little eyes you stick on and shake around so he looks like a wacky clansman right please tell me you're not doing nigga you have a clan doll as your yes. ventriloquist act yes. Well, yes I do we're an improv team Nice. Jeff Dunham is safe for doing a black puppet <laughs> that you are in the South doing a Klansman ventriloquism at. What the fuck, Rod? Me and the Wiz are a hit, okay? Well, the first time I ever did the Wiz was at a gay club really? in Memphis. Shout out to Drew's Place. Headline the show at Drew's Place in Memphis. Shout out to Drew's Place. And uh, we had a great time. Comedy night at a gay club, and you walked on stage mm-hmm. with a puppet in a clan's robe. Role model shit. Mm-hmm. And everybody loved it. Mike is Mike is typing up a new email to us right now. Yes. <laughs> the only reason I'm not going to ask you to do part of the act is because I feel like it won't come through properly through people's ears, and that's not fair to whatever the fuck this is going on on my screen right now. <laughs> It deserves to be seen live. No, so you can it at least judge it on all of the merits of performance. So I'm not going to do that to you. I am going to ask you to put that fucking thing away. Please. <laughs> Please. I can't even look at it. Yes. What's wrong? Y'all ain't got y'all freedom papers on you? <laughs> <laughs> don't. <laughs> I don't even know where mine is. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> is that material authentic? It look like good sand. Oh, yeah, that's real satin, baby. Oh, yeah. Upscale, nothing but the best for the wheels. Come on, now. <laughs> you have a clan wizard dummy, and you do ventriloquism with it. What the fuck is wrong with you, man? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm back here. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I have a question for him, Roy. I have a question for no. him. Come no. Come on, Ralph. Let me ask a question. Hey, no. hey, hey, Ryan, hey, Ryan, hey, Ryan. Using Jeff Dunham's logic. He stopped talking to black people, doing the black public because he didn't know black people. Yeah. How are you how are you able to think like a Klansman? Oh. Yeah. Because the, the because once again, there's a difference between a person and a character. Mm. The Wiz 
He has. You're assuming he's white. First of all, <laughs> <laughs> you're just assuming he's a white man, and that's racist. All right. First off, let's get that straight. Y'all a bunch of racists for assuming. Oh, you're not he's a gonna include man. me in that mess. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm good. I'm good. But that's right. The Wiz isn't. He's just a singular Jesus. thing. The Wiz is just. A KKK grad wizard. He's not a person dressed up and me inputting thoughts and trying to figure out how this person would act. The Wiz is just the Wiz. Mike, um, Mike, I want you to know that I had every intention of like taking your email serious and having a real balanced conversation about who has agency and not agency to be mad on the behalf of other groups and whether or not people who've done offensive things have a right to explain themselves and be have their feet held to the fire. I did not know that this conversation was going to end with a goddamn Klansman on Narado's right hand. And I'm sorry, Mike. I defy you to find a Klansman who has seen that act and thought it was offensive. Mike, I'm going to send you a polite email. Yes. You know what, Rod? I don't even know if I want a fucking story from you today. I feel like this is enough. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to call this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scam of the week time. JG, I believe you had a question for Brother Dupree. Curious about where did you learn your work ethic? And then I'm also curious about what do you have in your life that's worth more than money to you? Um, Where did I learn my work ethic? I learned my work ethic ethic from a lot of great mentors you know Mm -hmm. um coming up in my in my life as a young male child trying to maneuver through a city like newark new jersey which is similar to compton which is similar to cleveland which is similar you know to southwest dc and all of those type of places in detroit and and in chicago at, at some point um i was looking for things that those mentors that that weren't around so when i couldn't find them i tried to become become what I was looking for, you know? Mm. Um, and, and I found them in spurts in different places. You know, the rap version of me is somebody who never made it is my guy shake from my block. Shake was the flyest, the fly, you know, when you was, a, when you were in hip hop, mm. you know, fashion was key, you know, mm. like, like how you, how you dress. That's why the dancers, when they did their backspins, they always had to had a fly jean jackets with the graffiti on it. And the, you know, the MCs had to have the bell kangos with the belt. Like you had to be fly. So Shake was that guy who was fly on our block and he could rap. So I wanted mm. to shake as a rapper. He just mm. never made it. You know what I mean? And, and when it Industry comes to, politics. when it comes to like, uh, just maneuvering through community in the block and utilizing um, if you're in a community, do something other than like I, I was influenced by drug dealers, mm-hmm. by D-boys, but not to sell drugs. I was influenced mm-hmm. by them to be fly. I was influenced wow. by them to to move ahead in life and utilize what you have to make something uh, uh, you know out of nothing. Like I was influenced by them to do that. And then by doing that, I ran into people who saw something in me as well. Eighth grade teachers who who uh, like God bless uh, Mr. Nicholas Ibokwi, who was my eighth grade teacher. I just thought he was being a pain in the butt. 
but he was really mm-hmm. sure that I could have one foot in and one foot out. So after school, he would make sure that not only me, but like a group of five of my guys and all of us are doing well with the exception of maybe one, you know, um, and he made sure all five of us stayed out because he knew we were smart enough, you know, just like they're superheroes, they're supervillains. He knew that Absolutely. if we weren't, if we couldn't become a superhero, we definitely would have been supervillains. You know what I mean? And he noticed <laughs> that. So he became a mentor. And then you have um you have Hafiz Farid, who stuck in there the longest, became the manager of Lords of the Underground, became like a father figure. He was the type of dude who was actually the chief of staff for a councilman at that time by the name of Ralph Grant III, Dr. Ralph mm-hmm. Grant, Dr. Reverend Ralph Grant. So I got mm-hmm. into a little trouble joyriding with some friends from my neighborhood. And um, Ralph Grant is the one who got me out. At the time, I played baseball and was real good in the state. And I lost all my baseball scholarships for this joyride, you know. And uh, wow. he's the only one that came to my aid, wrote, wrote letters to the courts and, you know, uh, went to, came to my school, got all of my grades and showed them that I wasn't really a bad kid. I just made a mistake getting yeah. in the wrong car at that time. And um, he got me a partial baseball scholarship to Shaw University. I went down there. I joined the, the, the acting coalition. You know, uh, I played baseball for a little while until I hurt my knee. And I became popular in Shaw University. And that's where I met our other manager, who was Marley Maul's cousin, introduced us to Marley Maul. But that guy, Hafiz Fareed, once we got popular, he showed us what community was. He made sure that all the success we had through Laws of the Underground, that that even before Laws of the Underground, you go to these schools and perform. You go to where, where the people like you. You give them you give them the, the talent that you're supposed to have and, and you cater to them and you build up your repertoire. And that's what we did, man. So when you ask. No, counselor, you have to answer my other question. What, what was that? My other question is, what's in your life that's more important than money? Um, In my life, that's more important than money. Money is not an important factor in my life. It's a necessity, but it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't do anything for money. I do things for legacy at this age now. You know what I mean? Like, Ooh. I just want to do it. For okay. You know, uh, a lot of times I, I think that I was doing it for respect too, because I feel like we were so close to New York when it came to hip hop. And I'm speaking of Newark, New Jersey, that we felt like the sixth borough, the lost borough, mm-hmm. or the, the the people who didn't get their love. That's why we went so hard. And even to this day, if you talk about the 90s of hip hop, you can't mention the 90s without talking about New Jersey running hip hop. They might mention Redman. They might mention Lauren Hill. In the 90s, we went so hard because we felt like we didn't get any love for anybody. And that produced the Fugees, you know, from Lauren to Wyclef. That produced Lord of the Underground, Queen Latifah, Lost Boys, um, you know, uh, uh, excuse me, not the Lost Boys, um, uh, the Outsiders, excuse me, the Outsiders and the Outlaws. You know, um, that produced Red Man, that produced Apache, that produced um, Gangster. Uh, Wise Intelligent, that uh, produced PRT. True. PRT. Come on, man. You, you got so many. I can go on and on. Rod Digger. You, the greatest female MC of all time, Rod Digger. You need to say that. Right. When you say Rod Digger, the greatest female MC of all time. 
Right, you got to say that. I'm sorry. I'm but sorry. people, they, I mean, Naughty by Nature, um, <laughs> Channel Live, um, that's them who changed their name to the Artifacts. Mm-hmm. There's so many different groups. And when you talk about, when people talk about the 90s, they don't mention that. They don't mention all of that. They don't mention how New Jersey ran hip hop in the 90s. And I'm talking about platinum artists. So, and then you talk about one half of DOS effects. And, you know, it's just so many more and more. But that's what, what kind of powered us. And to answer your question, the thing that is worth more than money is actually chasing your passion, living your passion out in real time. That's way, that's worth way more than money because yeah. if you live your passion out, the money and the monetary things, that'll come to you. You know, mm-hmm. when you do something you love and you love yes, to do it, yes. you, you'll create Absolutely. love for yourself. You'll create a pathway for yourself financially. You know, so, but if you just do it for money, I'm not saying that you won't have, you won't have some type of riches that come to you, but it won't last and it'll be done for for the wrong reasons and it'll cause too many problems. I know so many rich people uh, who are unhappy. Miserable. So, yes. you know. Miserable. After the break, we're going to bring it home with Brother Dupree Kelly and talk a little bit more about this world of politics and what it means to give a damn about the community that you came up in. Mm. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Job fair, we are bringing it home with the Honorable Dupree Kelly. You know, this has been enlightening, just not just on the political tip there, but also in learning all of this rap history of just how every rapper, they just all knew each other and hung out and he helped dropped one jewels on me. For the life of me, I never knew that Here Come the Lords was a diss song on DOS effects. Like, I would have never <laughs> even put that two and two together, man. Does, does that mean we have to have DOS effects on the podcast now the so they can have their rebuttal? <laughs> yeah, like some political, you got to talk to both sides type shit. It'd be the first job fair rap battle. That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but Brother Kelly, let me fire off a couple of questions because I know we got a rap here and I don't want to keep you all all day. Um, you transition into politics um, 
and you make the decision to run for one office, which you did not get. Right. And then you make the decision to cock and reload and run again. And you win and you're now a West Ward councilman and you govern where you grew up, mm. which I think is another key part about your arc and your journey and like truly having love for where you are and figuring out ways to make it better. And so, you know, you have a nonprofit organization called 211 Community Impact. And so you all try to foster change in the community. You educational programs. You're trying to address homelessness. You've given away meals. Like You're giving away free haircuts and hairstyling to boys and girls and teaching them about hygiene and just how to dress for a different occasion. Shrimp right. fork, salad fork, dinner fork. Just <laughs> that sounds like, a, that sound like a, a new song right there. Right? Right. <laughs> 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 so you've you know you've made all of these donations to innumerable community partners and schools. What are some of the skills from rapping in the music industry that directly transfer over into politics? Galvanizing people that translated, you know, the more popular you are, the more people come and listen to you. Mm. Right. So marketing, um, differently you know outside the box is what the entertainment showed me but still correlates with the campaign of a of a political campaign um i think uh being able to uh, like i said galvanize the people but also being able to get the people uh team building team building comes from you know when you're a young Street teams and shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, street teams, all of that. When and, you're uh, okay. your old boy and they put a million dollars in your pocket and it, it doesn't come with instructions, you know, they put a team around you. Okay, yeah, uh, Martha from marketing. Yeah, Vincent from uh, publicity. Uh, this, You know, they put all of these people, the yeah. record guy in Chicago, mm-hmm. you, you know, they put it, they build a team. So a lot of times they, they, they think they put smarter people around you than you being the smartest person at the table. So it showed me never be the smartest person at the table, you know, and and it taught me how to delegate. It taught me how to team build. It taught me how to galvanize the people. It taught me how to connect with the people with, with issues because sometimes you'll make a record and they'll be like, man, I love how you made that Indian record, that Indian record, chief rocker, what y'all made about the Indians. Now they love it so much. You can't tell them it's not about, it's an, not Indian. about an Indian word. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know, Just so know that they love it and you know, nod your head it, and go, uh-huh. And allow them to uh, whatever, however they vision it, and, and just kind of uh, see what their vision is, and, and take that and build on top of that. You know, so it taught me a lot of those things. Um, it also taught me how not to get let let women uh, interrupt you. You know, because when usually talk, yeah, not how to let women interrupt you. Explain, and I'm not please. talking about it in a good way. I'm talking about it in a bad way. Oh, you know, I'm you with you now. You fame and you come from nothing. Okay. You, young, you out there, you know, fraternizing. You so know vice versa. Don't let men interrupt you either. I'm with you. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I totally okay. agree with that, Miss Jacqueline. I'm sorry for Jacqueline interrupting you. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I had to get some clarification going on here. Right, okay. right. And I just think it, the distractions, you know, mm-hmm. with women, the distractions with money. I've done all of that 
on the mm-hmm. entertainment side. So it taught me not to bring that same energy into the politics side on a politics yes. platform. I just did an interview with my sister, you know, Roxanne Shante. Nice. Shout out. Have a nice day. Roxanne Shante. Yeah. Word. They asked her a question. What was her most memorable? Like she's known me since I was 17 years old wow. and I didn't have a record deal or anything. And they asked her what was the most memorable time of me. And she told them that she remembered that one time I came to her album release party and Big Daddy Kane was there. Biz Markie was there. Coogee Rap, Molly Maul, uh, Red Alert. All of the pe- powers that be. This is 1988. So everybody that was basically popping at 88 was in this room. I came there with her sister and friends and everybody was telling Shantae that I was the next rap dude from Newark. And they had a cypher with all of them. I wish somebody has to have this video. It's probably a VHS back then. But somebody told them that they tried to hand me the mic. And I was like, nah, nah, that's the, that's the, you know, that's them right now. They got records out and let them do their thing. So she remembered that I never grabbed the mic. Mm -hmm. And after I interviewed, she said, you know, why didn't you ever grab the mic? And, and I, I, maybe I thought, I was out of my my place, you know, or maybe I thought that, you know, nowadays, of course, I would grab the mic. But I thought I was just like, you know, let them do their thing. My time will come. Mm-hmm. And I didn't grab the mic. So long story short, when I was leaving the interview, she said, on this level that you on now, on this platform that you on now, never not grab the mic. Mm, yeah. You belong in the room, you know. And, and it just hit me in a different way. So I learned all of those things from the things that I didn't do well or didn't do right at that, those moments or those times in, in the hip hop entertainment industry. I try to fix that on the level that I am now um, with policy and legislation. And, and, you know, I don't even consider myself a politician, but my, my team tell me to stop. I have to stop saying that because it is what it is now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I still consider myself a public servant, but, uh, you know, we're going to change what that ideology of a politician is. And, and that's by doing the work and, and, and you know, just just showing it through our actions. That's the only way that we can do right. it because people are going to say what they're going to say. CMO, right? Well, CMO. Well, brother, counselor, Kelly. You didn't done so much. I'm just looking over this, man. You didn't deliver. The Newark is just as bad as Flint when it comes to the water crisis. You slinging free water to everybody who needs mm-hmm. it. You lift bus for special needs students God. in yeah, your man. damn neighborhood. You are doing the look good, feel good program. And we want to make donations to the 211 Community Impact. Where can people find that? Real quick, um, right. they can go to the website. Just go to two one one, and those are the numbers two eleven, um, two eleven community, and that's C I as in community impact two eleven community impact dot com. You can just hit the donation button, you know, or you can go to our Instagram page, which is the real two one one C I as in community impact. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, man, and or you can hit me up on my personal IG. Twitter, Facebook, all the same name, and that's do it all do D O I T A L L D U at the end. And um, if you want to support us and follow what we're doing uh, on the political platform, everything is do it all, one word for, and that's F O R Newark. Do it all for Newark. Do it all for Newark. Oh, and dupraykelly.com, the website. 
go ahead to the website, subscribe. You can find out everything that's going on in our community at DupreKelly.com. Beautiful. We'll have that in the job fair episode description. Last question. Single word answer. Shadier industry to be involved in. Record industry or politics? Record industry shady because they get young people to sign contracts and they don't know what they're signing. Mm, Politic world, you think it's about the people and it's supposed to be about the people, but the people are second or third. Mm. And other issues of power plays a part before that makes people move funny. Anytime people move funny, they're not in the light no more. They're in the shade. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. Your art to me is one of the most fascinating in the world of hip hop. Uh, you and Bun B selling these good ass hamburgers down in Texas. <laughs> yeah, I'm about, I'm about the Bun B burgers, bro. Well, respect to you, man. Thank you so much, brother. And thank you for coming on the job fair. Appreciate you, brother. Yo, salute, man. The job fair, man. Everybody get employed out there. Get a job, man. Make <laughs> sure trying, it's fair man. and equitable. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a Comedy Central podcast. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now.